Well, friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, We come to a time where we want to reflect on the passages of scripture that we've been reading and in particular the one from Revelation chapter uh, chapter 1 beginning at verse 4 where we meet that quite astounding statement where God says that he is the Alpha and the Omega and then later in the book of the Revelation we we get that same phrase applied directly to Jesus and it's expanded a little bit to say the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Uh, Now these are the two Greek letters that are mentioned, Alpha and Omega. If you're a Greek student going to school, you wouldn't learn your ABCs, you'd learn your ABGs because the Greek alphabet is different. It goes alpha, beta, gamma, so they've got a G in front of a D, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. And it doesn't have the same number of letters and the letters are not the same as ours. Alpha is sort of like our letter A, omega, we don't have anything equivalent to that in our alphabet. It's not certainly Z or anything like it. But it is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And if you think about the language of your life, the words that you describe, who you are, where you come from, what you do, what you hope for, what you feel, what you experience, what you look forward to, all of those words are made out of letters. And this is a way of saying to us, the whole of your life is actually made out of an alphabet in which God is the first letter and God is the last letter. It's not meaning simply that God begins things and God ends things, but the whole language and grammar of your life is the language and grammar that God gives it. You can't understand your life apart from the language and grammar that God gives to your life. He's the alpha, he's the beginning He's the omega, he's the last letter in your life and he's everything in between. And we're going to look at a few ways in which he is the alpha and omega of our lives. Now in Psalm 139 and many other places we are told quite remarkable things about God's uh, intimate care for us. Now, we are all here because somewhere we have a mother and a father. Many of us have had good relationships with our mothers and fathers. Some of us have had really poor relationships with our mothers and fathers. Your mother or father may have abandoned you. You might not know who your father is. But whatever your mother and father were thinking on the night in which you were conceived, and sometimes you look in the mirror and think, what were they thinking? But whatever they were thinking, your coming into this world is actually not finally theirs. It's God's. He is the one, we're told in Psalm 139, who saw your unformed substance. He is the one who knit you together in his mother's womb. He is the one who has given you your gifts and abilities. He's the one who's given you 
the history that you've inherited from all of your forefathers and foremothers, if there is such a word. But what I'm trying to say to you today is that whatever you think about the natural relationship that has brought you into this world, in and behind and through that natural relationship is a spiritual reality that God has actually created each one of us. He hasn't just given a job lot of creation and said, I'll get the ball started, you guys can go and procreate and make babies and I'll watch from a distance. Every one of us he forms, he makes us in his image so that the gifts and the abilities that one person have are from God to complement the gifts and abilities that another person has, which are also from God. So that gives us two avenues of great hope. Firstly, it tells us that no matter what the relationship with your earthly parents, whether you're abandoned or not, whether you know your father or whether you've never met him, whether you felt yourself wanted or not, whether your parents have made those dreadful statements to you in the past, so present and so often in our consciousness, which say things like, I wish you'd never been born. And they say it to us in words or they say it to us in actions. If any of that belongs to your history, the scriptures are telling you today that God wants you. God has brought you into this world. God has formed you. And your life is in him. Not just your conception, but all of the days of your life, which Psalm 139 tells us quite poetically, were all written in his book. And he tells us that he knows the words that are on our tongues before we speak them. But it's not just at the beginning that God is present to bring us into this creation. He's present with us all the way through. That's why you have Psalms like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And even though I pass through the valleys of deep darkness, he is with me. If you think God is watching from a distance as you try and scrabble your way through life like some poor abandoned orphan in the street, then that conception of God is completely wrong. God is present and he's active and he's intimately concerned with the smallest detail of your life. But it's not just during life, it's actually at the very end of life that he is present as well. He's the alpha, the beginning, and he's the ABG all the way through, but he's also the omega, he's the ending. One day, every person here will die. The person next to you will die. The person in front of you will die. There's no way around it. You're going to pass from this life to the next. And that fills you perhaps with terror and it drives a whole industry called youthful rejuvenation plastic surgery industry. But that reality of death is not something that you enter alone. No human being ever dies alone. God comes to them. The Good Shepherd 
gathers his sheep in his arms. The, the Lord himself gathers his lambs and takes them home to himself. And so Psalm 139 says to us, where can I go from your presence? Is there anywhere that I can go where you won't be? Can I go to the depths of the sea? Can I go to the other side of the earth? Can I go down into the grave itself? And Psalm 139 says, no, even there you are with me. Your right hand upholds me. Your spirit is present. In other words, we are encapsulated in the life of God from the cradle to the grave. And I hope that brings to us at least some measure of hope which causes us to look beyond our immediate circumstances. We so often focus on the immediate that we forget the big picture and when we come to the end of our lives we will find that everything has been necessary, everything finally that we've struggled with has been from love and for love and that even though we have felt at some point that the going has been a little bit tough or unfair, in reality God has never left us, never abandoned us and never forsaken us. So he is your Alpha and Omega this morning. He's your Alpha and Omega for the rest of your life. But it's not just a personal thing. The scriptures make abundantly clear that God is the Alpha and the Omega of the whole creation. Before there was a big bang, there was God. Before there were any quarks or protons or Higgs bosons, there was God. God who was and God who is and God who is to come. This creation didn't get itself started. God started it. And if you think how that happened, we only know that God the Father created this world through the eternal word, that is his son who later became flesh in the person of Jesus and that process of creation which began before time is to open up the life of God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit to us. This is a little bit of speculation but you can imagine the Godhead before time before there was any human existence and they are just filled with the love and joy and peace and beauty and contentment and serenity and security of what it is to be in God and they have no other gods before them and they look at this internal life which they have, this is all speaking as a speculative human being and they say in effect, this is too good to keep to ourselves. We want a whole creation which can share in this. We want a whole creation which can reflect the beauty and the glory and the love and the majesty and the vastness and also the intimate tenderness but we also want special creatures in that creation. We want someone made in our image who can actually participate in this life of ours so that they would know us and that we would know them so that they would be filled with us and we would welcome them into our own hearts and home so that we as a whole humanity 
are not just wandering through the universe, a little blue speck in an infinite darkness. We, in fact, live and move in and through the life of God. God is not served by any human hands as though he needs anything, but he himself gives life and breath to all things, even us here this morning. So that universe in which we live, that vastness and the glory of it, is created from within the life of God. And he is the beginning of that universe, but he is also its omega. It's, 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 he is its end point. There is a time, as the scriptures have told us this morning, in which our Lord Jesus Christ will appear again. He is present with us now. He's present in the hearing of his word. He's present in the baptism. He's present in the Lord's Supper. He's present by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. But there is a time when that presence will be unveiled. Now, from your point of view, that might be when you die, when you see him face to face. But from the point of view of the cosmic history, the scriptures talk of a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will appear and those who are his will appear with him in glory and this whole creation will be transformed. Now, let me tell you a secret. God is the greatest recycler who has ever lived because when he comes... He's not going to take this universe, screw it up and toss it in the waste paper basket. He's going to say this universe is far more beautiful and far more glorious and far more unfulfilled than it, is, than it needs to be and I am going to bring it to its glory. He's going to strip out every bit of human wickedness and sin and evil, anything that pollutes it and condemns it, all of that will be taken out of the picture so that that new universe and the new heavens and the new earth is entirely free of any human corruption. Now, Jesus Christ has made these statements and his promises and that confronts us with an issue. If you say that you want to believe in Jesus Christ and he makes such statements as these, then you have to make a decision. Am I believing in a man who's a fruitcake? Am I believing in a man who's got a paranoid delusional complex? Am I believing in a man who's a megalomaniac? Or am I believing in a man who is really what he said he was, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is Lord of heaven and earth? And the scriptures tell us that this man, Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega of your life, is the alpha and the meagre of this creation. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. This universe is not going to go on in its current form as it is indefinitely. There will come an end point and at which point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in between, Jesus, the Apostle Paul says, is the one who holds it all together. He holds all things together by the word of his power. Now, I'm not sure how many of you follow 
the latest developments in nuclear physics, but how many of you have heard of the Higgs boson and whether they've discovered it? The Higgs boson is the missing particle in the standard model and when they've discovered that, they will say they have, the nickname for it is the God particle. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, the God particle is not the Higgs boson. Jesus is the God particle. He is the one who gives this universe its weight, its substance, its meaning and its purpose and only he can bring it to its fulfilment. But then there is also this. This Jesus is the one we've heard this morning who has loved you and has cleansed you from your sins by his blood. Let me ask you this. How many of you here have ever experienced a guilty conscience? Oh, don't be shy. (laughs) And how many of you, after a tiff with your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister, have thought, well, I've got to do something to make up for that. So, you remember to bring the bin in. You remember to bring flowers and chocolates home. You remember to clean the bathroom this time. All of that sort of negotiating that goes on in human relationships is a way in which we try to redeem ourselves from our failures. It's a way in which we try and redeem ourselves from our failures in our own mind. Sometimes that takes very dark forms. We have an epidemic in our society at the moment, not just of young people, but an epidemic of people who believe the way to atone for their guilt or to work off their shame is to punish themselves. We have an epidemic of self-harm. We have an epidemic of self-loathing and hatred. We have an epidemic of what I would call human vandalism, where we're vandalising ourselves. All of our addictions and our alcoholism is finally a self-loathing. We'll kill ourselves. We won't listen to reason. It's all an attempt to evade what the scriptures have told us this morning. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of your redemption. You don't have to engage in any atonement methodologies nor do you have to score any points. God's not expecting you to bring the bin in to get right with him. If you're here this morning because you think that will earn points with God, I've got a terrible shock for you. It doesn't earn you any points at all. I'll tell you the story. Some of you might have heard this story before. It's a true story of a pastor who died and went to heaven, as all pastors do, joke, joke, and he's beetling up the road towards the pearly gates and there's St Peter standing there and I don't know why he always gets the press but anyway, he's standing there and the pastor says to him, oh, is that the gate of heaven? He says, yeah. pastor says, what do I have to do to get in? Peter says, it's simple. It's just a 100-point checklist. pastor says, okay, what does that involve? Peter says, you tell me what you've done and I'll give you points. When you get to 100, you get in. pastor says, Fine, this should be easy. So he starts off, he says, I've been a pastor of this congregation 
for 30 years. I visited the sick, I've baptised children, I've buried the dead, I've evangelised, I've been a faithful pastoral visitor, I've officiated over the sacraments, I've opened the church, I've closed the church, I've chaired annual general meetings, I've borne the flack of all of the criticism, the burden and heat of the day, 30 years. Peter says, yeah, I'll give you a point. Guy starts to sweat a bit. Peter says, what else have you done? He said, oh, well, for a little while we had one of those soup kitchens uh, to help the poor and the needy in the district and everyone started off with great enthusiasm but then after a few weeks no one else did it, so I did it. For the last 10 years I have done that soup run by myself. I've cooked the meals, I've taken them out, I've distributed them to the homeless, I've cleaned up afterwards, I've been doing it for 10 years, sometimes not getting home till midnight, doing it after long days and hard work at the church, sorting out everyone else's problems and then I've taken this good food to the poor. Peter says, "Eh, I'll give you another point. By this point the guy's beside himself. He's recited everything that was good about his life and he's still got 98 points to go. Just at that point, someone else comes past who he recognises from the town who used to go to another church, never did any of those things. He played with his kids on the lawn, he loved to go fishing, never went to the church working bee, never attended an annual general meeting and he comes past and he says to Peter, G'day Pete, how you doing? Walks straight in pastor's livid. He says, I know that guy. He hasn't done anything like what I've done. He's not done a fraction of what I've done. Peter says, yeah, I know that guy too. (laughs) And he doesn't like playing this game. He doesn't like playing the game. Don't you see it's a game? All of your point scoring with God is a game. There is nothing that you can do to atone for your sin. Absolutely nothing. There is no amount of suffering that you can go through that will atone for your sin. There is no amount of bringing in God's rubbish bin, no amount of cleaning his bathroom, no amount of trying to weigh up favours so that if you get more good stuff on one side, that outweighs the bad stuff on the other and if all the good stuff is weighed up, then I'll get in. If that's what you believe, you're not yet in the Gospel. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of your redemption. Your self-atonement is not your redemption. Even coming to church is not your redemption. Jesus Christ is your redemption. So if you're here to gain points, you'll be coming for a long time. And as they sometimes say, it'll be a cold day and a very hot place before you're ready. You don't come to earn points. You come to give thanks for what God has done on your behalf. So let me tell you what it means that you, that you have a Saviour who is your Alpha and the Omega. It means this. It means that your life has been created by God 
And whether your parents have wanted you or not, whether you knew who your dad was or not, whether they've abandoned you or not, God wants you. He wouldn't have created you if he didn't. And he's placed you in a universe which is as vast as it is to draw attention to how glorious is his creation. Your life means far more than what you're doing in your work and what you're doing with your family. Your life has significance for the whole universe. Let me draw a very simple illustration. We don't have a very clear wall here but if you could imagine one of these walls completely painted white and you put one small black texture marker dot in the middle of a white wall, what's your eye drawn to? The dot, isn't it? Why is the universe so vast and why is the earth so small? Because God's drawing our attention to the fact that he's doing something here which is utterly unique. He's created a home for his family and he wants you to be at peace in this home. He wants you to live in it without fear and without shame and with no guilt and to know the forgiveness of all of your sins for your many failures. And having an alpha and omega means that you don't have to try and get to that state by yourself because you can't. He's the alpha and the omega of your redemption. Hands up if you've got a skeleton in your closet that you don't want people to know about. I reckon anyone over the age of about 10 will have one. Perhaps many. In Jesus' name I proclaim to you today you don't have any skeletons in your closet. He's cleaned them out. He's gone to hell and emptied the whole lot out. He's the Alpha and the Omega of your redemption. There are no skeletons left in your closet. So be at peace, beloved. You are in good hands today. He has enclosed your life in his. Amen. Let us pray. Father, these words are not words which any human voice can preach nor human heart understand. They are words alone which your spirit makes sense of. So by your spirit, wing them to our hearts. Let us live in that security and that contentment and let us know truly and surely that you are our Alpha and our Omega. In Jesus' name, Amen.